Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am James Thomas. Today is Saturday, November the 4th, 2023. It is the 30th Saturday in Ordinary Time. It is also a feast, one of my favorite feast days, and that is the feast of St. Charles Borromeo. Uh, today's reading, I'm just pulling it up here. I have tomorrow's reading on here. I need to go back one day because I was working on tomorrow's talk. But for November 4th, I'm waiting for this thing to load. Um, I could tell you what it's about. It's about Jesus saying, when you go to a banquet, go to the uh, the lower seat. Don't go to the higher seat. And tomorrow's gospel is very similar. Do not be called rabbi. Do not be called master. You have one master. Here we go. It loaded. Today's reading is from the gospel according to St. Luke. On a Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the home of one of the leading Pharisees, and the people there were observing him carefully. He told a parable to those who had been invited, noticing how they were choosing the places of honor at the table. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not recline at table in the place of honor. A more distinguished guest than you may have been invited by him. And the host who invited both of you may approach you and say, give your place to this man. And then you would proceed with embarrassment to take the lowest place. Rather, when you are invited, go and take the lowest place so that when the host comes to you, he may say, my friend, move up to a higher position. Then you will enjoy the esteem of your companions at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I just want to say, I I can't wait to talk about St. Charles because I absolutely love the guy. But before we get to him, a couple things about this gospel reading. And by the way, this reading is all about St. Charles. One is Jesus is giving us supernatural, spiritual, moral advice to help us get to heaven. But he's also giving us really good practical advice. Think about it. I mean, I don't know. I've met all kinds of different people in my life. And I remember, I mean, not to uh, offend anybody out there. I know sometimes I offend with my words. I don't always think about what I'm saying. But when I went from grade school to high school, uh, I was surprised. This is now me as a 14, 15 year old. In grade school, I don't know, I just found a lot more humility. And maybe we were a little bit more blue collar. I don't know where I went to grade school. But we acknowledged certain people were good at certain things. And we recognized that. Of course, it didn't mean they couldn't be challenged. But you just knew, like, all right, these kids are really good at this sport. And those kids are really good at maybe spelling or math or this or that. Anyway, um... And so we encouraged each other. We helped each other. We did compete with each other. There was a lot of competition, but nothing was cutthroat about it. We, we, we were happy in each other's gifts. We encouraged each other. I remember applying to high school and getting one of the scholarships and my classmates were so happy for me, even though they didn't get the scholarships. Um, you know, that was the kind of, uh, I mean, not that we were perfect. We had a little rivalries here and there, but there was a humility there. Then I got to high school 
And once again, a lot of good people there and a lot of humble people there. But I was surprised to see how many people were just like cutthroat with the competition and really like, uh, whether they were better at something or not, they wanted that higher position. There was like this, uh, and some of that I think comes from parents, you know, putting in their kids' heads, you better be the best, or who knows what they're threatening them with. We're not going to feed you dinner tonight, or whatever. I don't know that they're the love that they have that they receive depends upon their accomplishments. I mean, we've all been there to some degree or another. Uh, when I teach kids, I always try to really get it into their heads like your value is so much more than your accomplishments. Although your accomplishments are good and we're proud of you, your value is that you're a child of God, is that you are good on your own and that you have talents, you have worth. Anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent, but I was surprised to see, anyway, just how much people wanted higher positions and they were like really willing to go after them and very cutthroat about them and very merciless, <laughs> some people, in trying to get a higher position. Um, and I get the feeling that's how it was among these Pharisees. They were cutthroat. And Jesus came along, starts performing miracles. They're not thinking, oh, praise God, a miracle worker who could be the Messiah. They're just have this, they have this cutthroat mentality of I'm the best. You can't be the best. I'm the best. I want that position. How dare you try to take it away? My King Herod, instead of being joyful that God has performed a great miracle in the world by his son, the Messiah coming into the world, he thinks, no, I can't let him threaten my kingship. I have to kill him. So anyway, it's a spiritual thing in that we need to grow in humility and we need to realize God will exalt us. God will take care of us. But also it's a practical thing. You know, you want to impress people. You want a good job. You want to do well in the interview. Be humble. Let people know your gifts, but also be humble about it. And this has always been a theme in my life. I remember <laughs> here's another situation when I was in college and doing postgraduate studies uh, I saw certain areas of the schools that I was in um, where they were a little bit cutthroat. There was intense co uh, competition. So I didn't go after certain things at first. Like, for example, being a cantor, I waited and I let everybody else fight that out. And then I got to know everybody. And by the second year, I had shown them, hey, guess what? I can sing. I'm a good singer. I like singing, I'm trying to be humble about it. But at the same time, my second year uh, in this one school that I was in, they called me forth. And it's so much better that way to be called forth. Anyway, enough about that. <laughs> um, and I hope I'm not exalting myself by talking about how humble I am, because <laughs> that defeats the purpose, too. Uh, humility is truth. Humility is not, I'm, I'm a piece of garbage and you're all great. Humility is, no, we all have our gifts and talents. We all, we've made good decisions. We've made bad decisions. Let's celebrate the good. When it comes to the bad, let's encourage each other to do better. But also this, as I said earlier, this gospel reading is very much connected to tomorrow. Um... And as I'm not going to give you too much of a spoiler here, but just that it's uh, our, our Lord and the Blessed Mother and her Magnificat are so concerned about humility because they realize it's so important. And they realize the original, original sin, the sin of Lucifer, was that of pride, spiritual pride, pride that says, look how close I am to God. Therefore, 
I'm better than all of you and you're nothing. So much so that Lucifer said, I will not serve. He challenged God himself. So Mary in her Magnificat says, God has cast down the mighty from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Anyway, let's talk about St. Charles. St. Charles was just a kid during a time that the church was overwhelmingly corrupt and the Pope was his uncle and the Council of Trent had commenced and really it was a mess. It was right after the Protestant Reformation. Well, the Protestant Reformation began uh, with Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses and the church. There was just so much corruption in the church and Charles Barameo's uncle, the Pope, was uh, trying to do things better, but still there was some corruption there. Uh, one, you know, one thing in particular, giving high offices in the Vatican and in the church to family members. And the Pope at the time did that with St. Charles. He gave him the position, are you ready of this? Giving a kid the position of Cardinal Archbishop of Milan. Now, he wasn't old enough yet to take the position, but he was already appointed to it. And let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about Milan and what was going on at the time. Milan is considered the second most important diocese in the Catholic Church. Milan is where the Edict of Milan was signed, legalizing Christianity. Constantine, the emperor, signed it. He was camped out there during various battles that were taking place at that time. He was defending his empire, uh, specifically from invaders in the north, because Milan is north of Rome. And his mother had turned Christian. Now, they were still actively persecuting Christians. But little by little, his mother influenced him to not only not persecute Christians, but to start making it illegal and to start praying. And he started to have prayers answered. So he had not yet made the full journey to Christianity himself, but he legalized Christianity 313 AD with the Edict of Milan and Milan became a place right there at the beginning where uh, Christianity started to be practiced legally. Then about a hundred and some years later, uh, there was a very famous man that became the Bishop of Milan. He was famous already, even when he was young, uh, Ambrose. I believe he was placed in there to be the governor by the Romans and the people loved him and he had been a catechumen. And what happened as a catechumen, uh, the people demanded that Rome make him their bishop. <laughs> he was already, like I said, the governor, he was leading them. They loved him. And so he became the bishop. Uh, first, he had to be baptized, then get his confirmation, first communion, then be ordained a deacon, then a priest, then a bishop. And he received all these sacraments and he became the bishop. He was a great bishop and he has a very famous convert who's even more famous than he is. And that is St. Augustine, the great St. Augustine, the father of the fathers of the church. Uh, so, so many good things happened at Milan. His conversion happened at Milan, St. Augustine. And through that was through the prayers of St. Monica. Then now we're talking a thousand years later. And Milan is in a shambles, as is Rome, as is a lot of Europe. The fate of Europe in the Middle Ages was very much connected to the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church was in its worst time. Lots of corruption at the top. And it needed to be renewed. See, this is why we have so much hope. When the Church goes through difficult times, we've seen this before. 
And we know that God will renew his church and God will raise up leaders. We have what's called the Counter-Reformation that came after Martin Luther in which numerous saints rose up to uh, to work and, and enact reforms in the Catholic Church and build things up again and make things better. So we have at the time of St. Charles being a very young man, being appointed Cardinal Archbishop of Milan at the time. I think it had been like a hundred years that a bishop had actually taken residence in Milan and the churches were in a shambles. The, the state of the priesthood and even the state of the laity in Milan was in a shambles. Everything was weak. Everything was bad. And here he is appointed Cardinal Archbishop and he's told just relax, just hang out in Rome and continue to live this corrupt, uh, indulgent sort of a lifestyle that the bishops were all living. And Charles, as a teenager, said, no, I'm not going to do that. The people of Milan deserve better, especially considering the dignity of how great that place is and the history of the place. So the Council of Trent was going on, and Charles Barameo was invited, even when he was very young, to attend some of the uh, the council uh, meetings. And so they were talking a lot about reform. How do we reform the church? And Charles had the wisdom to see, I have to reform myself before I can reform the church. This is such incredible wisdom for our day and age right now. Mother Teresa talked about it. Pope John Paul talked about it. Our Lady talks about it in her apparitions. If you want peace in the Middle East, if you want peace in Russia, Ukraine, where now, of course, I'm making references to today, but the first thing you need to do is work on yourself then your prayers will be more powerful. Then the people around you will be influenced. We need, and and I mean, Mother Teresa used to say this all the time about abortion and, and so many other great, great, great evils in society. You can't go solve some other thing that involves the sins of other people if you haven't conquered your own first. So anyway, Charles knew this. So he started to form himself for his new position as Cardinal Archbishop. In other words, what he did was he locked himself away for a while and he spent long hours in prayer, in fasting, in penance. He performed, he was known to perform like these incredible penances, not eating for long periods of time and sackcloth and ashes and wearing a hair shirt and just all these kinds of things. He said later in his life, that penances didn't even phase him and sufferings didn't even phase him because he fasted and did so many penances for, for most of his life. So once again, as a young man, he studied the church fathers. He read the Bible again and again. He studied canon law, however, whatever kind of state it was in at that time. Uh, he studied church history. He became well-versed in it. He became a man of deep prayer, a man of penance, as I said, And when he was finally old enough to be ordained in his early 20s, he was ordained deacon, priest, bishop, given the cardinal's hat, and then the expectation was he was going to hang out with them in Rome and be corrupt like the rest of them. And he said, nope, I'm going to Milan. And they couldn't believe it, and they tried to convince him not to. And word got up to Milan that their bishop was coming. They hadn't had a bishop in a hundred years. So they lined the streets and they cheered and they had a big parade for him when he arrived very humbly on his little horse. 
and they said, it's St. Ambrose, come back. It's such a great story. I get so excited about this. They said, St. Ambrose has returned to us. It's a new St. Ambrose. And they cheered for him. They knew who he was and they knew what he had given up. And they knew that he was involved with the Council of Trent and all this discussion of reform. So St. Charles said it and he lived it. And that is Milan became the template for all other reform in the church. And some of these reforms took 200, 300 years to enact throughout the world. But Milan became the model for the rest of the world. He went in there and he fixed the place. And how did he do it? Well, once again, first working on himself, right? So he's praying, he's fasting, but then it extends to the local clergy. He invited the priest to come live with him. He visited them in their parishes and he helped them. He encouraged them, guys that were alone, guys that were struggling. He invited them to get the help that they needed. We desperately need this right now in our church. Guys that are alone, guys that are struggling, guys that are running four parishes by themselves. And in the Midwest and in the Western states, some of these places are two, three hours apart from each other. He went to the outskirts. He went to the parishes that were just far away from the center, from Milan, the city itself. And he encouraged those priests. He bolstered those priests. In some cases, he had them live in common rectories. In some cases, he invited them to come back and live with him. And they started to pray together. And they started to live their faith together and build up brotherhood. And this built more and more. And the people saw it. And what happened? That peace, that brotherhood that they enjoyed became contagious. It was a good example, but it was also the source of unity and the source of reform, the source of holiness that then the lay people started to see, learn from, and enact in their own lives. St. Charles did not live long. I forget when he died. I think he might have been in his 40s, but in a very short period of time, let's just say he was up there in Milan for 20 years. He reformed the place and he founded seminaries for the training of priests. He invented seminaries. And he also invented the 40 hours devotion. He mandated that all parishes would regularly have the 40 hours devotion. In other words, Eucharistic adoration, spreading Eucharistic adoration, realizing once again, that's a source. I always say Eucharistic adoration is the battery that runs your parish. It runs your diocese. The more you have of it, the stronger you're going to be. There's places all over this country where they've established Eucharistic adoration chapels uh, next to abortion clinics and the abortion clinics shut down because the evil one can't stand it when we're adoring Jesus face to face. He gets out of there and gets out of there quick. So St. Charles was a wise man, a holy man. And then as he started to minister to his priests and his people, guess what? He started praying over people and they were miraculously healed. He had a gift of healing. Um, and then there was the, uh, I believe it was the bubonic plague. It was the, the Black Death uh, came through Europe. And no, they didn't shut down the churches and everybody put a mask on and, and you know, you don't get to go to communion for three months or whatever. No, what he did was he invited his priests. They didn't have to, but he invited them to live and work with him. By the way, he was giving away all the stuff, all the treasures of the church. He was just giving them all the way to help the poor. And especially during this time, people were dying in the streets and he wore very poor clothing and he, um, he encouraged his priest to do the same. And there were so many miracles during that time. So many miraculous healings of his priests, of the people 
and he himself did not get sick from ministering to people in the streets with the plague. And, and I, I believe there's some like number I, we could look this up, but I think like not a single one of his priests got sick while ministering to the people in the streets. And a lot of the people did heal, but they just, because they, they, they did understand, um, you know, shutting the doors of the churches is ideal for stopping the spread of disease, you know, not having people all gathered in together and closed in spaces. So they had mass in the streets. They just, they went out and they gave the sacraments to people all over the place. They ministered to the people very similar to St. Damien in Hawaii, who eventually did contract leprosy himself, but he just went and ministered to the people and didn't, he wasn't concerned about physical illnesses because he's concerned about salvation. And we should especially be concerned about salvation during a time when people are sick and dying. That's when the harvest is ripe. What happened during COVID, not to get off on a tangent, we lost people. Why? We shut our doors. We could have doubled our numbers during that time. If we were courageous and if we actually went out in the spirit of St. Charles and ministered to our people. But anyway, the people after this plague was done, they loved him. They stinking loved him. They thought, how amazing is our bishop? We, whatever doubts we had about the church before, because of all the corruption that we've seen here, we love him. We love our priests. And guess what? The churches were jam packed after this was all done. And so Charles, like I said, he didn't live very long, but he reformed that diocese and his reform became the template for now reform all over the Catholic church, just establishing all kinds of things. I mean, now it's 500, 600 years or how many, I don't know, 500 years later. So we don't, uh, we don't think about it as much like CCD right now. Everybody rolls their eyes when they hear the expression CCD because they think, oh, heaven forbid, the kids have been in school all day. It's one more hour. Nobody wants to be there. Nobody goes to church. Well, anyway, back then during the time of the Council of Trent, that was one of the big reforms, establishing a society in the church whereby people would learn their faith and become Christian. And it was very successful. And St. Charles was very much a part of that but also the whole seminary system and structure, but also a model for bishops. St. Charles wrote a treatise on how to be a bishop. And he talked about all these things, how you have to be the source of reform yourself. You have to show people the way you have to be very selfless, act in great sacrificial love, kindness, charity, especially to the poor. You have to bolster your priests by being with them, Praying with them, eating with them, talking to them, listening to them, making them more and more love their priesthood because you love them and because you love your own priesthood. Anyway, uh, I'm a little fired up about this, but yeah, I love this saint. And Pope John Paul, his name before he became Pope was Carol, which is a derivative of Charles. It's the same thing as Charles, but in Polish. And um, he looked at him as his model for how to be a priest, how to be a bishop. And this is why he was so successful first in Poland. And despite the fact that there was the Nazi rule and then the communist rule, he was very successful. He did great good. Ultimately, they toppled communism, for goodness sake. And it had so much to do with the example of St. Charles, plus the intercession of Our Lady. Ultimately, he became Pope and he continued to use this model. Just as St. Charles went to all his parishes, Pope John Paul went to all the countries in the world, all a lot of them, 
And uh, it was the same idea. Let's evangelize by making sacrifices, by coming face to face with our people, doing whatever we can to spread the gospel, just like Jesus showed us how to do. And so with that, I hope everybody has a great day. God bless you. And we will talk again soon. Bye-bye now.